Hello, and you're listening to STFU, We Are Not Done Talking Yet, with your hosts, Danielle Warman and Charlotte Gabert. In our podcast, we discuss current events, popular culture, writing, books, movies, and women's lives. Hello, everybody. We're really excited to have a special guest today. Jill Hedgecock is here with her new book, Rhino in the Room. Welcome, Jill. Thank you, Sharla. It's a pleasure to be here. We're really excited to have you come and talk to us about your book. Um, This book was published when? September 2018. Okay, excellent. Well, I just finished reading it and it was really a good read. It's a real thriller. Um, Why don't you tell us in your own words a little bit about the book? So the book is um, set in um, South Africa. Um, Actually, it starts out um, with my protagonist, um, Claire, who um, unfortunately finds out um, in the worst possible way that her father is having an affair and their relationship disintegrates. And to repair the relationship, her dad decides her to take her on an African safari and Claire doesn't want to go. And um, unfortunately, um, things don't necessarily (laughs) go well at the very beginning of the safari experience. Um, But Claire has a really strong passion for fashion and she soon discovers that um, these safari animals are a great inspiration for fashion design. And she meets this handsome young guy named Junior. And so a romance starts to bloom. And just when things are starting to really look more positive for her, um, they go on a special safari. They get um, lost in the bush, surrounded by fire, and between the last two black rhinos and rhino poachers. So it really turns very intense um and in order to survive her and her father really have to come together yeah it's it's a really it's very thrilling and it's a really great experience to read about from the point of view of just a safari what it's like to go on safari i really enjoyed that because i've never been on a safari and i thought all the details about it were quite good so um danielle do you want to ask a question yeah, I was going to ask Jill, what, um, what made you interested in the plight of rhinos? So I was actually uh, on safari myself, and I went to Africa knowing that I wanted material for a, a new book. Um, and um, I was watching this dinosaur of an animal uh, graze nearby, and the, the guide said, three of these are killed every single day. And I was mortified yeah I I was absolutely mortified um my first response was this feeling of helplessness I live in the states how could I possibly help the situation and um and then my second thought was oh I'm a writer I can write a book and I really wanted to to reach out to a target audience I didn't want to write a nonfiction book about what was happening I wanted to through entertainment educate. And um, I was so inspired by the Parkland um, survivors 
the shooting mm -hmm. survivors and how these kids really are rising up and bucking the system. And I thought, you know, the young adult audience um, really has an opportunity here to um, make a difference in a way that I think that um, my generation is not stepping up to the plate. And so I targeted them. <clears throat> so that was one of my motivations. The other motivation I had was I wanted, as Charlotte just pointed out, I wanted to bring the safari experience to people that can't do it either financially or physically or are afraid but really want that um, experience. Um, and so I, I really tried to capture what it's like to be on safari and um, I think I succeeded. Yes, it really made me want to go on safari and drink yes. sundaes. <laughs> Jill, was it, was it intended for the young adult um, audience? You know, it was intended for the young adult audience, but what I have found is that either people that are going on safari and kind of want to know what they're getting themselves into or people that can't go on safari and want to know what it's like are really my my audience i that's been the majority of my sales um so um so it's both really which is great right you get the both best of both worlds yeah i think that the book would appeal to anybody who loves nature who likes to go you know bird watching who goes hiking you know who's, who's really interested in the natural world and the animal i think it would appeal to anybody of that type and um, have you ever coordinated with um, another conservation group? Oh, so this is a great story, actually. Um, so one of the things, so World Rhino Day is September 22nd, every year. And the book came out September 5th. And I had thought that I had something scheduled for World Rhino Day for my book, and it fell through. And so I was madly trying to figure out what I could do on September 22nd. And I was watching an, a Facebook podcast on, um, uh, with the um, CEO or whatever you call the main person um, of International Rhino Foundation. And they were talking about the plight of the rhino, most of which was stuff that I knew. Um, and I typed in the comment box, I said, are there events going on in the Bay Area that I might be able to join? And um, the uh, coordinator didn't really have any great ideas, but this guy that was also on the podcast um, from South Africa said, you should paint a sheet, a king size bed sheet um, with a rhino on it. And then he contacted me, uh, private messaged me, and um, we actually talked on the phone. And he is an artist, and he is trying to break the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest painting in the world. And he's using rhino poaching as his platform. And I couldn't get to it together for September 22nd because I needed to get a sheet and paint and everything else. But I promised him that I would help him. I have now done 10 of them. I'm shipping them to South Africa probably next month. Um, he needs a total of 1,200. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna sew them all together. He's rolling them up. He's shipping them to Vietnam, which is one of the primary um, consumers of rhino horn, which is why they're, they're dying. 
and um, and gonna unfurl it on World Rhino Day, 2019. Wow, that is so cool. Yeah, so um, that's one of many amazing things that have come out of this book. Well, you know, this makes me think, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the poaching problem? You know, why are they being poached? What, you know, who wants their horns, the whole thing. So, um, back in, I think it's 2007, uh, somebody in, um, a, a, a leader um, in Vietnam claimed that rhino horn cured his cancer. Oh. So in 20, 2007, 13 rhinos were poached. Uh, the peak was in 2014, right before I wrote this book, actually, and it was around 1,200 or close to 1,300. So it went from 13 to close to 1,300. Um, last year, this is the good news, it's not all bad. Last year, because of a, a variety of things, which I'll talk about, um, there were 794 posts. So we've, we're definitely on the, going in the right direction. Um, but what they're poached for is the, the, the powder of their horn. And unfortunately, there's a lot of old wives tales, a lot of uh, cultural uh, belief that this powder, which is essentially made of keratin, which is your fingernails, right? Has right. medicinal property. <clears throat> and, um, it's not, right? It's just fingernails. Um, so some of the things that have got, you know, people have now um, been blasting the, the, the African countries with, it's like, you know, th this has to stop. You're gonna make this species go extinct. Um, historically, there's been a hundred, uh, hundred different species of rhino. We're down to five. Wow. Um, yeah, and the oldest rhino that's still in existence is the Sumatran, and they've been around for about 50 million years. Um, I think there's 80 left of them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, and, um, but the reason for the decline, there's been a lot of reasons, uh, but I think the main one is enforcement because in the past, the poachers would get caught and then they would get a hand slap and they'd get kicked out and now they're actually convicting them and throwing them in jail. Um, some countries have actually said you can shoot a poacher. You can shoot to kill if you see them poaching. They've really uh, cracked down on it. Um, and then uh, worse than that is some of the rangers were actually turning the other way and accepting bribes to let the poachers go ahead and kill them. So um, there's been a huge crackdown and they're starting to see the fruits of their um, their efforts come to fruition. So it's good news, you know, that we still got a ways to go. Yeah, I used to live in Asia, so I'm not a stranger to the concept that um, men think it's an aphrodisiac or will give them sexual prowess. And you said in Vietnam, it's because they think it cures cancer, but I mean, good for goodness sakes, like get a grip, they need some education. Yeah, and the other thing, because a, a rhino horn is worth about $500,000, which, you know, in a poor country, that's oh like, gosh. yeah, it's more than gold. It's worth more than gold per ounce. Um, and so oh. there's this thing going on where in, in Vietnamese culture, where they will actually take and they will put a uh, rhino horn, complete rhino horn in a glass case and put it in their living room to show off their wealth. 
Oh, and it's illegal. Yes. Doesn't matter. That's appalling. That's worse than the medicinal aspect of it because then it's just showing off that I can, I can, I can have this illegal thing that's worth $500,000. Aren't I great? That is so disgusting. Yeah. Wow. I'm really shocked that that's going on. I mean, it's one thing for people to have just be ignorant and have this idea that will help them. But yeah, wow. Do you think that this is something that people in the United States can help with the whole poaching issue? Well, I think, yeah, international pressure is really important. In fact, um, one of the things the painter, um, Brandon Chalice, who's the artist, um, asked me to do was to make sure that I put a, a painted an American flag on my rhinos because he wanted to show the United States is watching. They are behind stopping this because we have power. Right. We, we make a difference. And so, you know, to the extent that people can you know, join um, International Rhino Foundation, give them donations, um, tell other people. I mean, that's a simple thing. Hey, I just heard this great podcast. Um, right. Did you know that three rhinos are being killed every single day? It's, it's just horrific, you know? And I think about it, you know, um, my kids, the, the rhinos could go extinct in, my, in, in their lifetime. Yeah, you know, I, this in your book, they're the black rhinos. There are two black rhinos that are left, a pair, a mating pair. Is that what is happening in the real world? Are there white rhinos, black rhinos, same thing? So there are five species of rhinos. Right. Um, the, the black rhinos, there's this was supposed to be a subspecies of them where there's two left. It's that part is fiction, but I'm going to talk about how it, it reflects reality in a minute. Um, when I wrote the book in 2015, um, there were 5,050 black rhinos in the world. Since, since uh, the publication of the book, there's now 5,000. We've lost 50. That's like, Mm -hmm. a huge you know when you're down to those low numbers yes that's a significant loss right um there are in fact only two northern white rhinos the the rhinos that i saw in africa were southern white rhinos there's about twenty thousand of them left but the subspecies of northern uh, white rhinos there are two left um in march of uh last year uh, the last male died. So there's only two females left. They have, uh, and they're, they're, they're in Kenya and they're guarded 24 seven. They're, they're safe. But um, one of them um, is too old to reproduce. And the other one has something wrong with her uterus. And so what they're trying to do to save the species is they're trying to figure out um, in vitro fertilization in rhinos and they're trying to see if they can um, have a southern white rhino be a surrogate so they can transplant the fetus in her. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, so there's some significant science going on. Good news is, in um, late last year, um, the San Diego um, Wildlife um, 
zoo right impregnated by in vitro a southern white rhino their gestation is 16 months and so we still don't know from last year if we're going to have a viable calf yet right it's it's so long <laughs> and there's so many challenges like they can't do an ultrasound on the rhinos because their skin is so thick uh -huh. so they can't even like look at the baby and say, oh yeah, it's developing normally or anything. It's they just have to wait and see. Wait and see. Yeah. 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 Well, um, let's turn to your book now and the gestation of your book. You want to tell us a little bit about um, the process you used and just the journey of getting your book written? Sure. So um, as I, I said earlier, I, I went to Africa knowing I wanted to write a book. Um, and I also wanted to, um, to, to do it fast. And so I had planned, um, we went to Africa in late September, early October. And um, I had planned to write this book, or the majority of it, during National Novel Writing Month, which is called NaNoWriMo which is the full month of, of November. And what you have to do, or you're supposed to do, is write a certain number of words per day so that at the end of the month you have completed 50,000 words. And if you complete those 50,000 words, you get to say, I won. <laughs> and so I did. I had um, uh, completed my 50,000 words. The book was not quite done, but that, because of the momentum that I had from that process, I, and even though it was Christmas and Thanksgiving and all those other stuff, I, um, I did uh, finish the book by December. Wow. Of um, the first draft. The first draft, well, that's okay. And then rewrite, rewrite, revision, rewrite, revision, rewrite, right? Um, and then, uh, so it was done, I'd say within a year and a half, it was ready to, to be um, shopped. And I did that for a year, and I did not get any takers, and so I decided to indie publish. Okay, gotcha. Let's just back up one second, um, and we can talk a little bit about NaNoWriMo, because I did it the same year you did it. We had Grant Faulkner at one of our California Writer Club's uh, meetings. Jill is actually also the program director for our branch of the California Writer Club. What is that? This is the name of our branch? Mount Diablo. Mount Diablo. And we had Grant Faulkner as a guest. He came and talked to us about NaNoWriMo. I think it was in October. And then we all started it. Who is Grant Faulkner? Grant Faulkner. He is the founder of the NaNoWriMo organization, National Novel Writing Month. Yeah, he's the guy behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and there's actually a nonprofit organization that has a website. They, you sign up to do it. Um, they have statistics where you keep track of your daily word count. They have um, meetings where you can go and write with other people. They have all sorts of helpful tips and tricks on the website to keep you motivated. It's, it's a fantastic thing. I mean, I, real, I wrote, I was working on a memoir and I wrote, my 50,000 words, and I compared them to another 50,000 words I've written over the course of many, many months, and there was really no difference. It was all just first draft material. So I think your idea of just get it done fast absolutely makes sense. 
it, it, for that first draft, it's not going to get any better dragging it out. You just need to get the first draft done. I would also add that I, I think because you are writing fast, that your book sometimes takes twists and turns that probably would not have happened if you'd you know gone to the chapter by chapter experience as opposed to I'm just going to get this down. It's it's a much more fluid experience. Ah, interesting. So it's sort of more liberating because you're going so fast. You're not slowing down to think about it too much. Did you plot the whole thing out before you started writing? Did you have an idea where you were headed? I, I had an idea. I did not know my ending. This is the, so this is my um, fifth book that I've actually written. This is the first one that's made it out into the world. Mm -hmm. um, the other ones are in various stages of completion. Um, but um, it's the first book that I didn't know my ending. Mm -hmm. um, so that was very scary for me. Um, but, um, but I did, I did uh, use a technique called a muse board. Um, and so I knew that pretty much who my characters were going to be. Um, I knew there was going to be some romance in there. I knew um, that my dad, but that the dad was going to be a bird watcher. I knew my main character was a fashionista. And so I created the, what's called a muse board, which is basically a, um, you know, a kid's science project trifold. Right, like a po like poster board, poster, or whatever. poster board, right? Um, and I put pictures that would inform not only the plot but the the characters, and that was a very useful tool when I was writing fast because I didn't get caught up in what color are my characters' eyes or um, what what's their interests again because it it was all there, and I even have pictures on this muse board of um, how my characters feel, which is anger in case in Claire's case because she's really unhappy with her dad and I, you know when I look at the news board and I'd see that it's like oh yeah I have to remember she's mad <laughs> yes in every scene you needed to show that she was still mad at her dad or coming or closing closer to you know resolution or maybe there's a setback but it was an integral part of the plot interesting that's a really good technique to use you know what we should take a break right now. Let's, take a break. Let's do that and we'll come right back. Okay, we're back. Well, Jill, you mentioned that you went the indie publishing route. Can you tell us about that? Yes, so it was very scary. I, you know, I had thought about this off and on, and I am so glad I went this route. Um, I um, met with um, somebody who's involved with the uh, California Writers Club that right. helps writers, and we sat down and we talked about um, how I might go about this, and I decided to create my own lo logo and my own press. And um, so I am Goss Hack Press. Ah, okay. Um, and um, and I, I wrote a marketing plan, uh, which was scary. Uh, I mean, but you know what? I, what I have found is that you just got to do it. You just got to jump in. 
and things will happen. Like the, you know, the artists that um, right. contacted me and um, it's a convoluted story, but I actually, because of my book, got to interview George R.R. R. Martin of Game of Thrones. Of Game of Thrones? Yes. Wow. That was probably an unexpected. Never in a million years did I think I'm going to indie publish my book and suddenly I'm going to be interviewing Georgia R. R. Martin. <laughs> well, how did that happen? <laughs> it's a long story. Are you sure you want to hear it? <laughs> how about an abbreviated version? Um, give me a minute. Um, so, so I write for uh, two publications. I write for um, the Diablo Gazette, which is a, um, a local newspaper and I write their book review column. And, um, and then I also write for um, Books and Pieces Magazine. And um, Books and Pieces Magazine was um, recruiting me to write author interviews. And um, one of the people that endorsed my book is Alan Brennert, who is a uh, wonderful novelist in and of himself. He wrote Molokai. He's, his book, um, Daughter of Molokai, has just come out. And I uh, interviewed him for Books and Pieces magazine. And I also asked him to endorse my book. And through this email exchange, he, he was on the cusp of uh, releasing Daughter of Molokai. And he said, I have this secret. You can't tell anybody, but I have an opportunity to be interviewed on stage uh, by George R. R. Martin in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And the light bulb went on and I said, could you get me backstage? Can I do, could I, you know, and do an interview of the both of you? And he said, well, I will talk to my publicist and have him talk to his people. <laughs> and it was uh, almost a two and a half, three month long back and forth before they finally said, yes, I had to send him my questions in advance. And, um, and yeah, it happened. I got to go, I flew to San, Santa Fe, New Mexico, sat down with George R. R. Martin and, and Alan Brennert. And we had this fabulous experience just talking to each other. But it was because of the book. If I hadn't asked Alan for an endorsement of my book, um, that would have never happened. Wow. And is, is that interview online? Can we link to it? Yes. Because we have a Facebook page that goes with our podcast. So we can put links to your website, to that interview, to your book on Amazon, all that good stuff. Yes, absolutely. Well, okay, so let's back up a little bit. You were working with this person who helped you do your book. You created a logo and a press name. And then what process did you use to do all the production, the design of the book? So the person that did my uh, logo um, design also did my interior formatting for me and also helped me through the process of posting to Amazon. I'm currently on Amazon and um, Smashwords. Um, I am still going to go Ingram Spark as well, but I've been um, a little distracted with my new project. <laughs> and, um, uh, but um, so, so really I've been focused on, on Amazon and um, 
it's really not that hard from what I can tell to get your book up on Amazon. Uh, the same person also did my cover design. Oh, and I have a great story about that. The cover. cover the cover's fantastic, I will just say. It's a beautiful picture of a rhino and fire, and it's a very colorful. Yes, it's beautiful. And I really have, I had, I would say at first glance, it would never have occurred to me that it was um, a quote, self-published book, but or an independently published book. It looks extremely professional. And that was the goal. Mm -hmm. um, from, from start to finish, I had it professionally edited as well because I wanted it to be the same as a traditionally published book, the only difference being that I was paying. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> and, and retaining ownership. So the, the cover came about, another fun story. I was um, having um, a wine uh, tasting experience with my cousin up in Napa. And I was telling her about my book. This was in May. My book came out in September. And she was telling me uh, about this woman artist in Napa who um, does African animal paintings with Madonnas. And uh, she said, yeah, she was just featured in the Napa Register and she sent me the article. And in the article, this artist said she was doing a, a fundraiser for cheetahs. And I contacted the artist and I said, I don't know when your um, fundraiser is, but if it's after September, I would love to donate some books. And she emailed me back with this picture of this disappearing rhino. And I was like, I want this for my cover. Yes, yes. And so I contacted her, told her I was doing, she was thrilled. And um, that's how it happened. And then, so the back cover actually has a sunset as well. And my book designer, uh, he uh, surprised me because the back cover was originally all black. And when the first proof um, came out, he, you know, I, I went to meet him because he's local and he showed me the cover, which made me gasp. And then he flipped it over. And what he had done was I did a cover reveal on Facebook. And of course you can't put the cover of the book on the cover reveal, otherwise it's not a surprise. So I had taken a sunset picture that my husband had taken while we were on safari and put that, and he pulled that off of Facebook and made it my back cover. And it's so perfect because it's this orange, you know, yellow ball sunset and the painting has this orange yellow ball sunset. It's just, it was just meant to be. Yeah, it's a beautiful job. It sounds like the publishing process is full of just surprising connections and things that happen that you could never have predicted. Right. You really just have to jump. And I do not regret it at all. I really don't because, especially for this book, because I'm so passionate about the rhino. So I want to be able to donate the books, which I have done to um, certain organizations and certain people. And um, it's just been a phenomenal experience. And I'm kind of hooked on the indie process. I really am. Do you have to get a ton of reviews on Amazon in order to sell more books or do people do that for you or do you have to ask them to do it? You have to ask them to do it and um it, that's kind of uncomfortable you know you know you're asking your friends like can you you know and you don't know if they really liked it or not <laughs> but i it's you know 
people have really responded favorably to this book. They really have. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you have, you have to be the advocate for your book. That's the, I think the biggest message for indie publishing. If, and if you don't believe in your book, then maybe it's not ready, honestly. Um, so, um, good advice. Yeah. You know, you need to say, this is good and believe it. And, and if you believe that, then it's easier to ask people. Good point. Yeah. You know, this book has already won an award. Has it not? It has. Um, I was thrilled to learn um, in February of this year that it won the uh, new Apple Literary Award. And um, that has really, um, it's been such a thrill to put that gold medallion on, uh, on my um, book cover and uh, reload my cover up on Amazon. So I have this proof, if you will, that it's a good book. That's great. That is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Okay. Do you have anything else that you would like to add before we close for today? Well, I would like to add that I have another book coming out. Yes. Tell us about your next book. You're so prolific. <laughs> I cannot believe this woman. <laughs> so uh, this book was actually um, agented in 2008 and uh, it didn't sell. And um, I uh, decided after my experience with, because um, I was thinking I was going to rebrand it a little bit, I, I, I realized that there were some flaws in it, and I've, which I've now fixed, um, and I was going to shop it again. And because I have loved the indie publishing uh, so much that I just decided I'm going to indie publish it. So it's a book about a dog that sees ghosts. <laughs> and when the uh, owner, who's a 16-year-old girl who is orphaned, um, and she's living on her own, um, trying to stay under the radar because she doesn't want to go into the foster care system, um, she adopts this dog that sees ghosts, and the dog is making all kinds of racket and attracting attention. And so she takes this ghost-seeing dog that she doesn't know what the problem is to an uh, animal behaviorist. And the animal behavioralist um, diagnoses it with, she says, the dog sees ghosts. And uh, the turns out that the animal behavioralist knows that because she has a history with the ghost in her house. So it's kind <laughs> of this mystery of what's really going on in a thriller. Um, and uh, the dog, who's on my cover, another great cover story, is Ruby, who, Ruby Doobie Doo, who's an Instagram sensation. She has 80,000 followers. So the cover of the book is, again, just stunning um, because it's of this zipper nose. The zipper nose is like a little dent in the crease of the dog's forehead. Okay. Which is where Sarah puts uh, my protagonist puts her fingers between the dog's eyes and that's when she can see ghosts too. Okay, that sounds really good. <laughs> I'm really ready to read that book. I can see the movie being made right now. You're definitely coming back on the show when you publish that book. We want to know all about it. I would love to do that. And she also has another interesting activity, which is dog agility training. So we'll have to keep that one for another podcast because that's a topic we have not covered yet. 
We certainly have not, but Jill, we didn't know that you were interested in so many things. So yeah, we'll have you back another time. I would love that. Thank you so much. Thanks yeah. for joining us today. My pleasure. Super nice to meet you. Thank you, Jill. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can get more information about it on facebook.com backslash Sharla Danielle podcast.